With your business, your clients, and the world changing so fast around you, it can be tough to know what your growth goals should be or how to even approach setting them in the first place. Thankfully, Drew McClellan, CEO of the Agency Management Institute and an agency vet himself, joins the podcast today to break down the numbers in a simple formula you can use to set attainable goals in any market. In today's episode, you'll learn how to determine which of the five phases of agency maturity you're in today, why you shouldn't set your goals based on top-line revenue alone, and how to use AGI instead, how to ideally split your AGI or adjusted gross income between loaded salaries, overhead, and profit. By the way, the full video complete with visuals in Drew's slide deck is available with the link in the episode description if you'd find that easier to follow along with today's conversation that involves some math you'll want to remember. Either way, get a pen or pencil ready and let's hop into the conversation. So Agency Management Institute is an organization that focuses on helping agency owners run the business of their business. So We operate on the core belief that most agency owners are sort of accidental business owners. They were great at something in agency life and ended up hanging up a shingle. And next thing they know, they've got some employees and clients, and now they have to figure out how to profitably run their business. And so we focus on all of that back of the house stuff, finances, HR, biz dev, people, all of that sort of thing. Uh, Everybody who works at or my partner and I who own uh, Agency Management Institute, we're all agency owners. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm a 30-year veteran of owning an agency. Everybody else has 15 to 20-some years. So we get agency life. In fact, we still own our agency. But we spend every day, seven days a week, talking to agency owners about how they're running their business and how to do it more profitably. So they make more money and get to keep more of the money they make. And so that's all day, every day what we talk about. So this is a common topic for us, as you might imagine. Yeah. And making more money and keeping more of the money that you make. Yeah. As we get into that, we're going to get in on that that distinction a good bit. And, you know, it's been a recurring theme. Last month, we had our CEO, Peter, as well as Cloda Higgins and a member of the leadership team of Smartbug Media. So we had two of the three who were recovering agency owners or existing mm-hmm. agency leaders. So we've got the common theme going today. So for folks who are joining us, I want to let you know uh, let us know in the chat. Maybe let us know if it's snowing in your neck of the woods today or not. So you can let us know that. Also, as Drew is going, I want to encourage you to drop questions there in the chat. We're going to try and save 10 or 15 minutes toward the end for questions with Drew. But a look ahead, we're going to be looking at, you know, where do you start? If you're trying to determine how do you grow too fast or too slow and how do you thread that needle, you need to determine where you're at. What does that mean? And then start to talk about those numbers. Uh, Drew's going to unpack some common misconceptions about how we set growth goals, how we talk about them, and what numbers we use to actually set those goals. And then as we go a little bit further, uh, there's going to be a spot you're going to want to have pen and paper ready. Uh, Drew's going to take us through some actual examples, looking at your attrition, your net new, how does that actually help you hit your goals and how do you work through that? as well as some risks that you might encounter and want to keep your eyes open for as you think about progressing through and tracking towards those goals. So Drew, as we get into this, why for agencies in particular is this topic so important of growing at the right pace? Well, first of all, I think we're just wired to want to grow our business. But I think sometimes we are a little limited in our thinking about growth. We always think about top-line growth, like we have to get more gross revenue as opposed to thinking about growing profitability or growing efficiencies or other things. So really to keep your agency vibrant, moving ahead and relevant to your clients, there's always got to be growth. And oftentimes it is about revenue. And whether it's new clients, we're going to talk about this in a little bit, new clients are growing existing clients' business. There are all kinds of ways we can grow our business and it certainly should be a focal point for us, but we need to broaden our definition of growth, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's let's get into this because if we move too fast, we'll ruin everything. I've actually seen right. this, you know, right now as there's economic uncertainty, I think we're so concerned about not growing fast enough, but growing too fast can have some some implications as well. As we talked about at the start, before we start setting growth goals and breaking those down and making sure we're looking at the numbers right, we got to determine where we're at today. So, 
Talk to us about this framework that you've put together to share with agencies to think about where are we today? Yeah, so I think it's really important to sort of recognize where in your agency's evolution you are. And and we will talk later about the risk of growing too fast and what it does, what kind of a burden it puts on the organization. But let's first figure out where everybody's at. So when you started the agency a year ago, 20 years ago, whatever it was, in most cases, your initial growth, your first few clients were friends and family, people you knew, somebody you met at the Rotary, whatever that may be. And 20% of all agencies stay stuck in that place where they're their growth is dependent on their own network. And for many agencies that don't have a new business program and a systemized way of getting in front of prospects, this is where they get stuck. Some of those agencies escalate to the next level when they get a large client. And oftentimes that first gorilla is someone you know, or it might be a referral, but now you've got a client that's 25 or 30 or 40% or more of your revenue. And the challenge with that structure is that gorilla kind of leads you around by the nose. You're so dependent on not losing that client that oftentimes they begin to shape what your agency does and who you serve and what you offer. And about 50% of agencies stay stuck in this spot where they have one gorilla. And the only way they get more clients is through referrals, which doesn't allow them to balance the gorilla normally. They're getting a lot of smaller referrals. So think of it as having one big boulder and then a ton of pebbles and trying to balance that mismatch of client size. About 50% of agencies get stuck there. So now we're talking, we're already at 70% of agencies are in those first two categories. The third category, now we've done a little bit of new business work. What happens typically is agencies will go into what we call the feast or famine of new business. They go into a flurry of new business activity. They get a sense that one of their clients is leaving or somebody's cutting budgets. And they realize that they're going to have to cut staff or make other changes if they don't get some new clients. So they, they just throw everything at the new business effort. And sooner or later, something sticks. They land another larger client. And then they're so busy onboarding that client that they, they stop all their new business work. So now they're sitting with two yep. gorillas and a bunch of pebbles. And again, maybe they get a third gorilla or it's two gorillas and a monkey but they get stuck there because they don't have a consistent new business program. So 15% of agencies get stuck here. So now we're at 85% of agencies. So a very rare subset of agencies will move into that fourth and fifth category. The fourth one is typically is very difficult for a generalist agency to get beyond that third stage. But an agency that has a niche, it could be an industry, it could be an audience, it could be a deliverable, like your PPC, SEO shop, something like that. With a consistent biz dev program, now you can balance out those gorillas. This is where we see agencies that have, you know, 15 clients that are no more than 20% of their revenue. So they kind of ebb and flow between that five and 15% so that if they lose one, it's not a crushing blow anymore. So the first three categories, you lose one of those big clients, that's a crushing blow. But in the fourth and fifth category, you can weather clients coming and going a little bit because they're not as big a part of your business. And 5% of all agencies will establish themselves as such thought leaders in their category, in their niche, that they are being sought after by great fit clients because they are famous, if you will, in their world. So you know, if you're an automotive agency and you're known as an automotive agency that works with local dealerships, you have local dealerships across the country and you're asked to speak at conferences, and you've written a book, or you have a podcast, now all of a sudden people are calling you, and the new business program flips around, and now you're being sought after rather than seeking clients. So those are the ranges. Absolutely. So I think that gives people several questions to ask, or just things that are going to come to mind in their current situation. Are we being led around by the nose by that one gorilla client, right? If that's the case for anybody on today, they probably know that as soon as you you said that. Okay, yeah, that's how I need to think about you know growing from here. I like what you said also about the folks that are reaching that fourth stage of, of niching. It's not always just uh, channel plus industry. We had Pete Caputa back on in a few months ago, and he echoed what you said. That can be the technology that you specialize in. It could be sure. your specialization around your mode of operation, your, you know, the process or the methodology, right? It could be industry. It could be a mixture of those three. So 
the challenge when it's technology. So I was just on the phone with a coaching client and he's a, he's a content agency. And when he started the content agency, nobody was doing content. So he really had a great niche, but now everybody's doing content. So he's got to figure out something to layer on top of that niche to actually make him a specialist, right? Whereas if you're an industry specialist or an audience specialist, you can own that for the lifetime of your agency typically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's kind of for anyone who's read, you know, Blue Ocean Strategies, just because you swim up to that blue ocean doesn't mean it's going to stay blue forever, right? And what you're saying there. So Drew, all right, if folks listening to this now kind of had context, okay, here's where I'm at. Where do you see most agencies starting with their growth goals? You know, even if it's just kind of finger in the wind, these are that's exactly where I'm starting. It is. Right. That's exactly what it is. And that's, I think, what we are going to talk about today is the danger is we just pick a number and we don't really think about the math underneath that number or what it's going to take. So for example, many agencies say, you know what, I want to double in size in three years. I have no idea why, but it's probably the most common sort of metric that I hear that we just make up in our head. So what that means is, oh, and by the way, I want to be, I want to be profitable. So I want to be making 20% profit while I double in size in three years. So to do that, you have to increase EGI. We're going to talk about what that means in a second. You have to increase your adjusted gross income by 25% a year. And we're going to do the math on it so you can see how challenging that goal is. And honestly, it puts a lot of burden on the team, puts a lot of burden on your system. So every time you double in size, all of the systems, processes, tools that got you to that size will not bear the weight of the new size. And you have to reinvent a lot of things, right? So you have to be really mindful of, do you want to grow this fast? Are you willing to put your agency at risk? Or is something a little more slow and steady a better choice? But we'll talk about the numbers in a minute, and then everybody can decide for themselves. The key is actually looking at the numbers, which is what we don't do. We just pull a goal out. You know, and it's often a round number. I want to get to two million or four million or whatever. It's we don't do the math, right? We never, we never don't do the math of what it would actually take to get there. Yeah, absolutely. So let's jump in and start talking about the numbers. We need to define the numbers first before we start breaking them down because there's often some misconceptions here. Tell us a little bit about what you often hear and where you're kind of guiding agency owners to rethink the numbers that they're thinking about to then work out the numbers. You know, our industry has sort of created this misnomer, this idea that gross billings matter. So if you look at Ad Age or Ad Week and they're talking about large agencies and they talk about their billings, it's always in the millions or the billions. But those are gross billings. And that's a vanity number. It's irrelevant to us as agency owners, especially small to mid-sized agencies. It doesn't matter what our gross billings are. What matters to us is the amount of money we have to run the business. And that number is adjusted gross income. So And what we're going to do with adjusted gross income is cover all of the agency expenses, our people, our overhead, and hopefully some profit uh, comes out of AGI. So that's the number actually that we need to know and we need to manage our business to because all of the financial metrics are based on AGI, not gross billings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit here. We're going to define revenue, that top line revenue, and then look at very simple graphic you want to keep in mind as we think about AGI from here, right? Yeah. So gross billings is everything you bill a client. So it's going to include things like media and printing and contractors and all kinds of things that basically we're just the bank for. We're going to take the client's money and it's going to turn around and go right back out the door to someone else. It's not our money. What's left, money we actually get to keep, is AGI or adjusted gross income. Mm-hmm. All right. So we've got, whether you you say revenue, billings, sales, right? That top right. number, right? Yep. Minus your, your cost of goods sold gives you your adjusted gross income or um, AGI. This is the main shift. And remember, cost of goods includes all contractors. So anybody who does not get a paycheck from you and benefits from you is a cost of goods. And the reason why is because they're a variable cost. You don't just send yes. them money every month, yep. right? You only give them money when they do something for you. And typically they're doing something for you on behalf of a client. It's a cost doing business for that client, as opposed to a cost of doing business like a lawyer or an accountant or something like that. So that's one of the big mistakes people make when they calculate cost of goods is they don't include contractors. Yeah. Any other missteps there? So cost of goods, also obviously the media spend that you're managing for your clients, if you're doing paid channels, those sorts of things. Anything else just to run through the list to make sure people understand uh, cost of goods sold there? 
So think of it this way. If an expense is tied to serving a client, like a media planning software or a printing bill or a photographer or other software that you only use because you're serving a client with it, that's a cost of goods. If it's a Microsoft Office or your accountant or things that expenses tied to running your business, that is an overhead expense. So that's the way to think about it. Am I buying this because of something we're doing for a client? Would I buy this anyway? Toner for my copier or, you know, monitors for the team or whatever. I would be buying those anyway to, to operate my business, not tied to serving a client. Yeah. That's a, a good distinction there and being part of an agency leadership team that, that went through kind of this transition of moving, realizing we need to move things over into cost of goods. Based on your recommendation, I can say it, it takes a minute to kind of run down those. Can I also say as someone who sold copiers for 10 years, I love that you use toner in a copier as the example there. All right. So we're going to get into kind of the ideal that you recommend for AGI and then what you see as the average with agencies. But let's start with some benchmarks around margin percentage here. Where do these come from? How do you think about these? Again, to give people context as we get into setting and managing the growth goal numbers themselves. Yeah. So people always ask me, well, how much AGI, if my, if my gross revenue is a million dollars, how much of that should be AGI? And my answer is always, it depends on the kind of work you do. So we see full financials of all of our clients. And so we're seeing the financials of, you know, 500 agencies uh, every year. And so that's where this data comes from. So back in the day, if you looked at gross billings and then you compared it to AGI, it might be 30 to 40%. Now, on average, it's closer to 55 to 60% of your gross billings will drop down into the money that you could run your business or AGI. But it depends on the work you do. Look at a PR firm. So they could have 90% of their gross billings could fall down to AGI. Uh, but an ad agency that's spending a lot of money on media and things like that, it might be as low as 35% of their gross billings is AGI. It doesn't really matter the percentage. You would certainly want to manage to that. But key is really understanding the metrics around how you use your AGI and whether or not you are overspending on the agency side with the money that you have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you've got to start there and manage this. Really where we're going to fine tune it is how do you manage within that that AGI, which is where we're going to get into the breakdowns here because that's really where hitting or, or missing your growth goals is going to happen. But you can't make the mistake of just looking at the top line revenue to start because then all your math no. is going to be off, right? Right. You're just going to overspend because that's not all your money, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And I will tell you, a huge risk for agencies is when you spend somebody else's money. So when someone, for example, pays you for media, yes. and you rob Peter to pay Paul, like you don't have enough money to do salaries or whatever it is, you know, can't make payroll, and you start taking money out of, in essence, the bank account that is your borrowed money, which is clients have paid us for this, but we're going to have to pay the photographer or the videographer, whoever it is, when you start borrowing that money for operating expense, you can get sideways in a big hurry. I've seen many agencies in serious financial trouble because they spent money that wasn't really theirs because they weren't paying attention to what we're talking about today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Question coming in from the audience, Drew. Uh, so AGI is the same thing as margin. Do you see our folks kind of misapplying those those names or how would you answer that question? So what people are asking in that question with the slide before is what's the margin? What's the variance between my gross billing and my AGI? So I would not use the word margin in exchange for AGI. It's just really people asking about the gap between the two. And the gap between the two can vary dramatically based on what your agency does and who you serve. So no, I would not use those words interchangeably. Yep. Yeah. We're talking about the delta, right? Between the top line revenue, and then your AGI, which is what's left over after those cost of goods sold. Stuff that, as you mentioned, you're just the bank for, and you've got to pass it through, which just includes your contractors, all your variable expenses that are specific to delivering client work, not running the business. We're going to get into the the profit out of the AGI here in a second. And I think that'll add some clarity to the asking that question. So yeah, what is the typical, what's the breakdown that you recommend in AGI? Talk about these three different sectors. And I think here's where we're talking about the profit, right? Which is what I think the question asker was asking in, in margin yeah. here. Yeah. And then we'll talk about the average. All right. So now we've, we're, we're ignoring our gross billings and we're just looking at the AGI. How should we spend that money? And the ideal ratio for an agency 
is that 55% of your adjusted gross income should be spent on your people. So what we call loaded salaries, salaries and benefits. And then 25% should be spent on overhead. That's accountants and rent and car payments and uh, professional development for yourself and your team. All those sort of expenses fall into overhead. And ideally, you need to run the business, like you were saying earlier, Microsoft Office. That's right. And, and Microsoft Office. Suite are, and, yeah. Teamwork, right? All of those expenses, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then obviously 20%, it, your goal is to leave 20% profit before taxes. So obviously that gets broken up. You spend some of it on bonusing your people. Hopefully you're taking care of yourself and bonusing yourself. You're always going to pay the taxes first. And then there may be some money left over after taxes, but that's kind of how that gets spent. Mm-hmm. So how does this ideal that you're recommending of 55% of the salary and benefits, 25% to overhead, and then 20% left over in, in profit compared to the average that you're typically seeing. Probably yeah. not surprising for anybody here that oh, that margin, uh, based on all the agencies you're working with and talking to, yeah, it's right. not quite that ideal, right? So what's interesting is across the country and across the world, this is sort of the norm. That's 63%. So we're overspending on people. That's where we almost always overspend. We might overspend a little bit on overhead which both in both cases reduces the profit. In the last couple of years, this has been really out of whack for a lot of agencies because people have gotten so expensive. And so, and we haven't raised our rates and well, we can go on a whole tangent about that. But, and I'll tell you the difference. The difference is agencies that measure and monitor this every single month and manage the business to 55, 25, 20 can absolutely move the needle on this. But when you don't know it, you don't pay any attention and you're just kind of running the business, this is typically where an agency falls. So you're literally robbing yourself of 50% of the profit that you should on average be making as business owner. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So let's get into, we've kind of set the stage, right? Uh, don't make the misstep of setting your growth goals and, and measuring the health of your organization, which unfortunately a lot of industry organizations do and, yep. and set the benchmark with the wrong number in mind. We want to look at adjust, adjusted gross income, which is that top line minus your cost of goods. What's the cost of delivery? The stuff that you're not keeping that you don't want to count as actual revenue, right? Because it's already right. so poor. You broke it down into these three areas. Now we're going to get into actually setting goals based on that adjusted gross income. So let's go back to that scenario and then have you yep. walk, walk us through a couple of examples, Drew. Yeah. So again, remember that the average you know, this kind of goal setting is I want to double my agency in three years. So you can do that if you double your AGI. Now that we've talked about what that is, you double your AGI 25% year over year. And I want to make a point that I am not saying that this is a recommended goal. This is a very aggressive goal. And you're going to see the math to why this is so aggressive in a minute, but you absolutely can do it if you want to. It's much easier when you're smaller than as you get bigger. So if you're less than 10 people, this is easier than if you're 25 plus people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. All right. A couple of things. And, and I think one of the missteps a lot of folks make, and I've heard you talk about this on your podcast, Build a Better Agency, mm-hmm. and in other contexts, is that we don't talk about churn. We don't factor in right. the right amount of attrition and factor that in when we set our growth goal. So mistake number one is right. setting your growth goal based on top line revenue. Mistake number two is not properly thinking about and planning for attrition. Talk us through a few things here. Yeah. So again, so we do the math. We said, we look at what the, what we ended the year with in 2022. We have this round number. We want to get to 2 million or whatever it is. We subtract wherever we were at from 2 million and we go, that's my, that's our goal. That's our go get goal. But we've forgotten about attrition. So in a healthy agency, we'll lose 10 to 15% of gross revenue and AGI over the course of a year. So that might be a client goes away. That might be a client slows down. That might be some other thing that happens. So it's not necessarily you lose a client, but just the revenue isn't going to stay steady. You're 10 to 15% is healthy, more than 15%. You have a problem and you need to figure out what that problem is, which is a whole different conversation. But you need to do a diagnostic on why you're losing more clients than 15%. So when you, let's say in, in January 1st, you looked and you said, okay, we ended the year. We ended 2022 with $3 million in AGI. I first have to recognize that I'm going to lose between three hundred and four hundred fifty thousand dollars 
over the course of the year. So in other words, if I do nothing, if I get no new clients or anything, I'm going to end 2023 with about two and a half million dollars in AGI, not the three million that I had last year, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to calculate all of that. Yep. Awesome. So let's get into a few examples, Drew. So you talked about here, start walking us through these. I know this is one that you've you've shared multiple times with, with agencies in your workshops. Yep. So again, our example of we ended 2022 with $3 million, but yep. we're going to be conservative and say, you know what, we could lose up to 15% of yep. our AGI over the year. So we're going to subtract $450,000. So my new net, if I do nothing, if I don't grow an existing That's client nor get a new client, I'm going to be at 255. So, mm-hmm. but remember, I want to grow 25% over my 3 million which is $750,000. But I have to add the $450,000 I'm losing to the $750,000. So my real go-get is $1.2 million, which means now look at the percentage. Instead of really growing 25%, what I have to do is I have to grow 40% in this example. And you can begin to feel the burden already. I mean, you can feel yourself sort of going, oh, I have to grow 40%. That feels really heavy. So this is, you're beginning to see why this aggressive growth goal of doubling in three years may not be right and how you can do the math to figure out what it really is going to take to grow to the goal that you have set. I'm glad you brought that up because we said at the beginning that double in in three years with 20% profit is an aggressive right. goal, growth goal. Oftentimes it starts with, you know, finger in the wind. Right. Okay, this seems manageable, but when you break that down, especially with that attrition, that is just is typical, right? If it's above that, you might have something to worry about, but you've got to factor in a certain amount of, yeah, of the best agencies right? in the world. You can be doing everything right. There are so many factors outside of how we serve clients that influence how much money clients spend with us, or if clients prospects are going to come on board, how quickly they're going to do that. So you just have to know that some of this is out of your control, and there's nothing. There's nothing wrong with your agency if you lose 10 to 15% every year. Of, you have attrition, not that you lose money, but you have that attrition yeah. that's sort of normal, right? Mm-hmm. But the other, the other mistake when we start setting these goals is we think of that go-get number as we have to go get, in this example, $1.2 million of new client billings, AGI, for us to get our goal. But the reality is for a really healthy agency, and this is, this is a challenging goal to get to. The, and we could talk for an hour about all the ways agencies, what agencies have to do to hit this number, but 60 to 70% of your net new revenue. So 60 to 70% of your new AGI should come from your existing clients. So that's AEs working with clients, helping them grow their business, which also allows them to grow their business with you. So when you're calculating what your go-get is, it really is two numbers. It's what do we have to go get in new money with new clients? And what do we have to go get in new money with existing clients? Mm-hmm. So you're looking at that 1.2 million you were talking about in yep. the previous slide, right? Which is replacing yep. the 450 you lost from churn and attrition um, yep. and the 750 that you need to get to hit your 25% goal. Right. That's a little, little bit encouraging. We've been kind of like, don't look at it, going down, going down. Wait, hold on a second. There is some low hanging fruit here to actually hit that number. Low to yeah. medium hanging I mean, fruit. It's easier to get someone who's already giving you money to give you more money. But we also, in many agencies, assume that that's just going to strip it by osmosis. And we don't have a plan inside the agency. Your AEs don't have a plan for growing their book of business. They may not even understand what AGI is. They don't know how to measure it. They don't know how to measure their own growth. So there's a lot of education that has to happen inside an agency for your AEs to be equipped to deliver this number. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It does not not just happen. So basically here on this slide, Drew, we're kind of expanding on that existing example to show what it would look like as you're adding, right? Yep. So again, we're, we're at 3 million. We have to okay. factor in attrition. So we know when we did this math, our go-get is really not 750, but it's 1.2 million. And now we're going to divide it between that 1.2 million. We're going to look at it from growth from existing clients and growth from new clients. You can see if we're really hitting that 60 to 70% target, of existing client growth, it greatly reduces the new clients and the new dollars we have to go get outside of our existing client base. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's actually lower. Many agencies don't think about it this way. That's right. Many agencies don't think about it this way. They think I got to go find new clients to get that 1.2 when really it's like you have to get about a third of it from 
new people, but you should be getting two thirds of it from your existing client base. Absolutely. Some encouragement for folks there for sure. So let's look at example number two, just uh, to kind of help us walk through the process, walk through the math with different numbers. Um, yeah, so if you're a smaller agency, right? You're a smaller agency and you were at, you ended the year at $600,000 of AGI. You got to figure you're going to lose around 90 grand. So now my net new, if I don't do anything, I don't get any new clients. I don't grow our existing clients. We're going to end the year at 510. If I want to grow 25% over the 150 or sorry, over the 600, 600. that's 150. But I have to now add the 90 and the 150, which means my go-get is about a quarter of a million dollars, 240,000. If I divide that again by existing and new targets, that means I have to grow our existing business, 140 to $170,000 ballpark. And I have to go get somewhere between 75 and $100,000 of new AGI from new people. So again, the math works the same. You can just see that the, the, the weight of it is even bigger when you're smaller, right? Yeah. And the percentages are bigger. Yeah. Yeah. It's the thing to think about. I was part of an an agency that, you know, that tripled in size when I joined. We were a lot smaller, right? As we started to hit those goals, we had to adjust our thinking of tripling at this stage is a lot harder. And as you said, it can break the systems. The entire things need to change. You know, we talked about that last month about the three different overall stages of agency growth and going from 1 million and 10 employees, which is where a lot of folks uh, kind of hit that first stage of growth. That next stage is very different, as is the the one right. following. Hey there, it's Logan with Teamwork.com. I wanted to take a quick timeout from this conversation to ask you just a few questions. Are you an agency leader looking at the year ahead with concerns about AI, inflation, employee turnover, and client retention all at the same time? Are you curious how your peers are managing similar concerns and thinking about the path forward? If so, I've got some good news for you. Teamwork.com recently partnered with Audience Audit to gather responses from over 500 agencies around the globe into a comprehensive research report, the State of Agency Operations 2023 edition. And to make it easy for you as a regular listener of Agency Life, we've linked to it right in the description of this episode. So if you want insights from fellow agency leaders about how they're managing profitability, employee utilization rates, the use of new AI tools, and over-servicing clients, check that link in the description of this episode and access the 2023 State of Agency Operations Report today. All right, let's get back to the rest of the conversation with today's guest. Going from 1 million and 10 employees, which is where a lot of folks uh, kind of hit that first stage of growth, that next stage is very different as is the one right. following. And by the way, if you're a million dollars and you have 10 people, you, the reason you're not profitable is you're overstaffed. A million-dollar agency cannot bear the burden of 10 people. Yeah. So that's actually a good segue. I want to pause for a question. Someone actually asked, can you expand on the notion of overspending on people? Team members are expecting more of employers. Is 55% investment of AGI on loaded salaries, salary plus benefits, still relevant with the the state of things right now? What would you say there, Drew? Yeah, I, I think it's a challenging goal to hit, but it is still... Now, if you live in a market or let's say you used to have rent, but you've gone virtual and you don't have rent anymore, you can steal from overhead mm-hmm. to add more money to salary. So you might be 60, 20, but the goal is those two numbers cannot be more than 80% of your AGI. Otherwise, all you're doing is stealing from yourself and your family because you're taking away from profit and it doesn't allow you to reward your team and all of that. So here's the metric that I think people are mismanaging their business to. You need $175,000 of AGI for every full-time equivalent. So when, if you have a million dollars, you can probably... one more time, Drew, because I think that's... $175,000 of AGI per full-time employee or per full-time equivalent if you have two part-time employees. So an agency of a million dollars can really only justify about six employees. And that we're over... Most agencies, when we come in to help an agency because they can't figure out why they're not making money, 99 times out of 100, they are overstaffed. And when we are overstaffed, so it's not necessarily that we're overpaying our people, although certainly people have gotten much more expensive in the last couple of years, but it may be that we're a person or two heavy. 
And we could take those salaries and, and spread them out over the other people to be able to actually stay in ratio of 55, 25, 20, or if you want to 60, 20, 20. I don't care. I don't, if you, if you happen to live in a small town and your expenses are really tight, uh, great. But you also can't rob from overhead so badly yeah. that you don't grow your people with professional development or they have old computers that aren't serving them well or you're not using the software you need to use. So you have to be careful about how tightly you squeeze your overhead dollars to justify overspending people. And the truth of the matter is most agencies are overstaffed. Mm-hmm. Well, you answered one of my questions here in a previous one. I think it was our November webinar. We had Megan Bowen, uh, COO at Refine Labs, an agency that has grown very quickly over the last several years. And we talked about this of, would you rather be overstaffed and, and have more than the demand coming in? Or, you know, the flip side of that is if you're growing quickly and you have a lot of demand and you have to tell clients, we can't right now. She said, I would al- always take being understaffed for too much demand versus vice versa. And it sounds like you would echo that thinking because oftentimes you see too many agencies in that situation. Am I right, Drew? Yeah, because here's what happened. So one of the ways you solve that problem is with a variable expense, contractors, right? So yeah, you can ebb and flow the work until you know that it's steady work and you actually have to hire for a certain role or position. But for a long, for many agencies, the way they ebb and flow that rather than being overstaffed is they have a bench of go-to contractors that help them sort of expand and contract as the demand does. Because we all know that demand in an agency is not steady. It ebbs and flows over time and with clients and all of that. But absolutely, you are far better off to be a little understaffed and always be sort of waiting for, you should always know who you want to hire next. You should be interviewing in advance of that. But financially, it is much better to be understaffed than overstaffed because here's what happens. The minute you get overstaffed, you're already starting from a negative point of view. And then a client cuts back or goes away or whatever. And we are very bad and laying people off when we should. We are very bad at managing our business to the numbers. We manage our business too well. You know what? John is a great employee and his mom is in a nursing home and God, I don't, and his kids at college. And you know what? I don't want to lay him off. And, and here's what happens. We leave a lot of our own money in the business. We don't take it out the way we should. We have too much retained earnings in the business. This is money you, that is yours as an agency owner. You've already, you've already paid taxes on it. It's yours. You leave it in the business. And then what you do is rather than taking it out to build wealth for you and your family, you end up overpaying people that you should not have on staff because you feel bad about letting them go. So you're literally taking money out of your kid's college fund and putting it into somebody else's kid's college fund. So we've got to run the business by the numbers and we have to be mindful of overstaffing. And so it's a huge problem in agencies. Probably one of the number one mistakes financially that agencies make. Yeah, and it can be compounded, right? Because as you mentioned, there's already this tendency to overspend on on loaded salaries from, from right. the get-go. And then it, it compounds with, with situations right. like this. The other big risk, so we've talked about overstaffing is a, is a big risk to your growth goals. Yep. The gorilla clients can be a risk to your growth goals as well. How do you advise agency owners uh, mitigate that risk a bit, especially if they're in those earlier stages we talked about where they have one no. or maybe a handful of uh, gorilla clients? So the problem with a gorilla client is they're all consuming. And oftentimes they demand the attention of your senior leadership and the agency owner. The people who should be out prospecting for new clients can't get away from their desk and their computer because they're beholden to the gorilla to go get new business. But the only way, and here's what happens. You get a gorilla and let's say they're 35% of your AGI, which is already tight. And then you do a great job and you over-service them because you're giving them all your senior people because you're scared to death that you're going to lose them. So you're over-servicing them. Many cases, they're not as profitable because you are over-servicing them. You're giving them all your most expensive people at a blended billable rate that doesn't really take that into account. You're, you're giving them too many hours and you don't have time to go get someone else. And so the gorilla is so happy. They give you more work and now they're 45% of your AGI and the stranglehold just gets tighter and tighter. The only way to survive a gorilla, because sooner or later, a gorilla is going to leave you and you were going to lay off a third to a half year staff. We had an agency who had a gorilla for 20 years. And that gorilla grew to be about 85% of their AGI. And the owner knew that they need, but they had this great relationship. They went fishing with the client and it was love, love, love. Well, guess what? Next generation of owners came in. Dad wanted to retire. 
kids wanted a new agency. They didn't want dad's old agency. And so all of a sudden, 85% of this agency's AGI went away overnight within a 30-day notice. And they had to lay almost everybody off. And it was all because the owner could never pull herself away long enough to prospect for new business and to balance the gorilla. The only way to manage a gorilla is to make them a monkey by bringing more business in. And you've got to carve out the time and the focus to go get another gorilla. Otherwise, you just have to know that inevitably someday you're going to get that phone call or that email that is going to change your agency's trajectory for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And I think a good litmus test is, do you have that feeling in your gut from time to time of, what if I get that phone call? What am, what am I going to do? If so, then you've probably got that risk that you need to work on now before you get that call and you say, what am I going to do? Because oftentimes there is only going to be one thing to do, right? Either close right. up shop or lay people off or something drastic. Start over. Happen overnight. Right. And, and you know what? Anytime a client is more than 20 or 25% of your AGI, you are at risk. So whether you have the weird spidey sense about it or not, you need to recognize that a client that big leaving your agency is going to have dramatic impact. Yeah. And for most of us, you know, as we saw with the AGI ratios, the only way for us to write that financially is to lose people. We can't, we can't cut our overhead so dramatically that we can offset that loss. The only way we can do that is by shedding people, unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely. So actually on this note, we had a question from uh, Georgie. He said, I have two gorilla clients and a lot of baby monkeys. By the way, nobody, don't refer to your, your clients, to them as gorillas or, or baby yeah. monkeys or anything. Or like whales that. But, or any, but it's any, a, any of the animal references we use, right? <laughs> it's just in this safe space, right? But good question. He said, okay, I've got two gorillas and a lot of baby monkeys to continue with the analogy Drew is sharing here. Is 60 to 70% growth from existing clients still sensible or would it make my gorillas even bigger and riskier? Yeah. So what I would do, Georgie, is I would, I would work with your AEs to identify the baby monkeys that have potential for growth. That's where I would spend my energy trying to grow my existing clients because maybe some of those monkeys can be baby gorillas and, and turn your gorillas into big monkeys. So maybe you can sort of narrow the, the space between those, that set of clients. So that's where I would focus. No, but here's the deal. When your gorilla says, Hey, I want to give you a new project. I'm going to put a big bag of money on your desk. None of us are going to or should say, no, we already have too much of your business. Thank you very much. You should give that to someone else. That's stupid. We should make the money that we can make. We just have to be smart about trying to balance it, right? So the problem with a gorilla is often they grow because we're good at what we do and because we give them such great attention. So I would be focusing that great attention on the 25% of your little monkeys that you think you could grow into something more substantial. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I think that's fantastic advice. And, and thanks for that question, Georgie. That was a great one. One here from Kelsey, she said, do you typically see pass-through costs to clients for things like production shoot expenses as cost of goods on the books or reimbursements or something else? So I think you touched on this a little bit earlier, Drew. You would typically, yeah. those are going to go into cost of goods uh, so that's first question, but then also, how do you think about bundling versus passing that through depending on your relationship with the client? Some ad advice around there. So I guess two-part question for you on this one. Sure, absolutely. There are costs of good. And you know, again, if, if you're going to be the bank for a client, it is reasonable for you to attach some sort of a markup, a production markup, a media commission onto the work we do. But you can't look at that markup or that commission as how you get paid for your time. You still need to get paid for your time and your expertise. But understand that the markup or the commission is really about you being the bank. So think of it as interest on a loan. And oftentimes you can negotiate better prices. So it's also a reward to you for getting them better prices because you're leveraging the worst yeah. that you have, right? Yeah. Yeah. So even with that markup, you're still going to keep all of that in cost of goods, not that markup moving over here to... Uh -huh. Well, the markup's going to end up being revenue. It's going to drop down to AGI, right? So the income part of it is going to fall in a different category. The expense is always going to be in a cost of goods. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Good clarification. All right. We've got some other great questions that have been coming in here as well. Shout out to the marketing team here at Teamwork that's doing some great job facilitating these and organizing them for Drew and us. I think we just answered Christopher's question. Where do you put the markup 
on that cost is that AGI. And, and you said- That's the income, right? So, so when you're in your general ledger, when you look at your income, you're going to say, you know, uh, agency services, it's going to be, and then you might break it out by media or PR or whatever it is. So you would have a category that is basically commissions and media or commissions and markups. And then that would be a rolled up in your income, but all of that money obviously drops down to AGI, the, the variance. So I bill someone $100 for a photograph and 75 of it is my hard cost. That's the cost of good. And the $25 is going to drop down as income into my AGI. Okay, perfect. Another question from uh, Jovan. Uh, if I'm pronouncing your name incorrectly, please forgive me. But a great question here, and we wanted to give you a shout out. Is there uh, any specific size, employees or revenue, or maybe based on those phases that you were talking about earlier, Drew, of an agency that's most challenging to reach that 20% profit? How do you think about that 20% profit goal spread across the, the different stages of growth, Drew? Yeah. So I think it's, I think the most challenging size of agency on all fronts, profitability, getting it done, having time to prospect a new business is if you're 10 people or under because everybody's wearing so many hats and the owner is so embedded in the business. Usually it's hard for them to step out and actually work on the business. So I think that's where it's tough to get the things done, to grow, to manage the business well. So it's oftentimes we see those folks that are not at the 20%. It seems like the sweet spot for profitability is I would say 15 to 50 people. That's, you've got enough bodies where you can have some specialization, where the owner can start to step out of the business if they're disciplined enough to do that. And that's a place where everybody seems to make great money. Now, when you get over 50, there's a whole different kinds of challenges around the kind of people you need, the leadership level. You have more, more employees who aren't doing billable work because they're managing more people who are doing billable work. So the billability and utilization of the people who are billable gets to be much more, there's a lot more pressure over 50 because you have, you have to cover the overhead of all the people who don't do billable work. And if you're 15 to 50, most people have their hands in the work at least some of the time. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I've seen that firsthand. Uh, We've got questions still coming in. If you've got more, we've got about 10 minutes left here to stay on track. So if you've got questions, it is not often you're getting to directly pick the brain of someone like Drew who works with so many agencies. So keep them coming, everybody. The next one was somewhat similar to the last one and what you just touched on there, Drew. At what stage do you start hiring project managers? That role is so integral. Obviously, we see that a lot in what we do for teamwork and working with agencies. What are your thoughts around that specific role as it ties into billable work as you start to scale the leadership team and that management level? What are your thoughts there? Yeah. So first, I may say that most agencies handle project management raw in terms of they make them a non-billable person. There's an apps that they should be 100% billable. All they do is they're in the software, in the work, making sure the work gets done on time and on budget. So you can assign 15 minutes of their time to every job you have open. They should be billable, number one. Number two, Below 15 people, a dedicated project manager is a luxury. Above 15 people, it's an absolute necessity if you're going to hit that 20% profit. You cannot burden your people with project management anymore. They really need to be focused on the client relationship and client communications. And you have too many moving parts, right? So a great project manager is like a puzzle master. They, they look over all the puzzle pieces of the agency. Everything has to be done. Everybody's day. And they're constantly moving the puzzle pieces based on reality of the moment. So I wake up in the morning, I'm a copywriter at your agency, and I think I'm writing an ad for the, our bank client. But you know what? The bank client didn't get us the input that I need to write the ad. So the project manager's going, oh, Drew's got three hours open now. So you know what? He's got this thing he's got to do tomorrow. So I'm going to pull that into the day. I'm going to move the bank stuff tomorrow. A smaller agency can do that. You can do that in a huddle or whatever if you're 10, 15 people. You get more than 15 people, the volume of work that's moving to your agency and the number of hands in the work absolutely require a dedicated project manager. They are gold to an agency. Absolutely. It's, it's where we see, it's interesting as you talk about, you know, the number of employees where project managers are just absolutely necessary and things change. As you mentioned earlier, kind of goes along the lines of what got you here won't get you there, right? The systems of let's huddle up and divvy up the work. You're wasting so much time once you get above 15 people. And that's where we see a lot of agencies using, for instance, the workload planner in teamwork to, to look at that view of 
how many hours of work across different people? Right. What is that work? Let me split that across a couple of days. Let me move that from Drew's play to Logan's, those sorts right. of things. So, uh, and, and, and the other stuff. thing the project manager does is it, it avoids, like if, if I love one AE, but I'm not a fan of the other AE, now all of a sudden the what AE I love, they always get my attention because they come in and go, oh, Drew, will you do this for me? And I'm like, of course I will. And the other one, I'm like, sorry, my plate's full. I'll get to it tomorrow. So the project manager also evens out. All clients are treated equally. All employees are treated equally. And the work gets moving through the organization in the most effective and efficient way possible. It really, it is a, it's a game changer for profitability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. We've got a few more questions flying in here. This one, another one from Kelsey. Kelsey, thank you for multiple questions today. Really appreciate that. Are there any key factors to look at if an agency may be overstaffed from a financial standpoint, but the staff's workload are very full, asking for a friend. <laughs> Likely an efficiency or scope creep issue or need for increasing rates, some potential uh, ideas yeah. there. But what would you say, Drew? So, so here's what happens in every agency. Our doers, our, our production people, the people who do the work for clients, AEs, the creatives, digital, no matter what happens, when we get a new client, they're like, oh my God, there's no way we can do that work. We need more people. We need more of a, we need a fit of this or a that. But we haven't crunched the numbers. So number one, the first thing you do is $175,000 of AGI per FTE. Can we actually justify the expense? Number two, look at the billability and utilization of your people. For most agencies, your billable people should be spending about 70 to 90%, depending on their role, of their time doing billable tasks. And you want at least 60% of all of their time actually billed to a client. Most agencies, their utilization rate is in somewhere in the low 40s. It's nowhere near 60%. And remember, the billable people have to offset all the non-billable people. So you have to look at, you know what, Logan, I will send you a little infographic for people to figure out billability and utilization. And then if you have a way for people, when they look at the recording of this, however you get the list of attendees, I'll send you guys a, a one sheet of how you can figure out how billable your people are and how utilized they are. Because Kelsey, that's usually the problem is they're busy, but time expands to fill the job. There's a thing called Parkinson's Law that says, how much ever time you give me to do a test, that's exactly how long it's going to take. Yes. So if yes. my place not super full, then guess what? The thing that should only take me an hour took me eight, right? Yeah. The other thing, the other thing too is look and see how much you're over-servicing clients. So in most cases, you know, if most agencies could reduce over-servicing hours that we cannot bill a client because we went out of scope, we honestly, everybody could be driving Jags. You, you wouldn't have to worry about profitability. That alone, if you could solve that problem, but it's probably not, I need more bodies. It's really, I need to know what my bodies are doing and redirect them to be doing the things I need them to do with more efficiency. Absolutely. So everybody, just put in chat utilization if you'd like to receive that, that graphic that Drew mentioned. And I think that that will really help folks uh, because, as you said, Drew, if you're under your utilization rate that you should be targeting, that's one thing. It's already negative, right? And and right. hurting your growth goals, as we've been talking about. But then you factor in the non-billable people, and then your overall utilization rate looks even worse, right? right. And so you've got to keep that in mind. It would be great if there were a project management platform that integrated, you know, uh, time tracking billable and non-billable to to get you that where, utilization where rate. Where could we find Where could we find That would be awesome. Hashtag shameless plug. I love it. We're getting some more questions here from Christopher. Where do you put the investment time on growing the people in the agency? You said project managers should be 100% billable. Um, how do you want to take this one from Christopher, Drew? So I think what you're asking is if I'm going to send someone to a workshop or a conference or I'm going to let them take an online course, where do I put that? Expense? That's an overhead expense. So, and or for you too, don't forget, you need to sharpen your saw too. Whether it's attending things like this or going to workshops or hanging out with other agency owners, you need to keep learning as well. All of that's an overhead expense. Uh, there, we've got another one from Debbie. We have $10 million in revenue with 13 employees, but all billable work is done by contractors. How do I identify the breakout since contractors fall in cost of goods? How do I find the ideal AGI with this formula that we have in the agency? What are the 10 employees doing? I guess that's a good question. Debbie, if you want to yeah. uh, chat back so, there, we'll so go Debbie, to it and come back. Say, your gross billings minus your cost of goods, which include all of your contractors. And then what's left is your AGI, which you would use to serve, to pay your 10 people, whatever they're doing. 
and all of your overhead and your profit. The stout, the this the equation is exactly the same. Yeah, I'm good a, point. I will be curious about what your ten people are doing that they're not bill- all not billable. All right. So Christy's got a question that's I think important as far as growth goals. We might have time for one or two more, and then we'll uh, we'll wrap to stay on time at the bottom of the hour. Especially if anybody uh, like Drew and I need to drive in the snow. At what stage is it valuable to bring in sales roles uh, versus work sales through employee relationships? And I think that goes back to the model of where you mentioned flipping that biz dev on its head a bit. Where would you say in the stage of growth this is comes into play, Drew? For most agencies, the best salesperson is the agency owner. And you should be spending 50% of your time on, on biz dev. That might be growing existing clients. That might be growing, going out and prospecting for new clients. Maybe creating thought leadership around your niche and your expertise, but that's the best place. Very few agencies, fewer than 20 or 25 people can afford a salesperson. And the challenge is a salesperson needs to deliver about five times their take home for them to be profitable to an agency. And that's very difficult for somebody who's not inside the agency, who can't tell your stories, can't talk through your case studies. So if you're smaller than 25, it's on your shoulders as an agency owner. Mm-hmm. That's a good benchmark too to look at the investment and the ROI mm-hmm. of that salesperson, whatever it is. Right. All right. One more question from Ray Drew. Do you have any recommendations for how to back out of guerrilla clients who are used to having so much of senior leadership's time? Any tips for how to effectively transition those expectations? This is this is a really good question. It's a great question. And it's probably an hour-long conversation. But I will say this. I think I think one of the things you need to do with all of your clients, guerrilla or not is have regular check-ins with them about how the work is going, how how it's feeling for them, how it's feeling for you. And one of the things you can say is, you know what? When we scoped out the work, we balanced the team with everything from owner to junior woodchuck. And what's happening is the work is shifting and requiring more of our senior level people, which we're happy to give you. But we can't do that for the same dollars that we originally talked about because we thought there was going to be more work done by less senior people. So we can either better blend the team and leave the budget the way it is, or we can revisit the scope and the budget to give you the senior access that you want. And in most cases, clients don't want to spend more money in that moment. So they'll let you start blending in. You also need to start doubling up a little bit and start getting your junior people more versed in the client so that they can start stepping in. And maybe for a while, your tag team is senior person and a junior person. And then the junior person starts taking up more and more of the work as they get more experienced. Yeah, two really great tactical tips there, Drew. How can you bring in someone and kind of level them up? And then also, I think your recommendation there is something we need to keep in mind with scope creep in general or resetting expectations. So often a client asks for something or they're used to something. And we just kind of, how do we maintain the status quo when we're kind of like jumping around it when we can say, hold on, here's the situation. Let's lay it out. We want to change the situation or something has changed. Let's, let's work together and put things out on the right. table and, and move things around together as opposed to here's what you want. And I have to find a way to, to meet it. Right. And I hear that. In what you but said. This is a great example of how the gorilla leads us around by the nose. We're afraid to have these conversations because they're so important to the bottom line for us that we can't rock the boat. And this, you know, you talked about, you know, if you get a weird spidey sense, then somebody might go away. This would be another sign to you that you have a problem when you cannot have candid conversations that benefit both the agency and the client with a client, then what that means is the relationship is unbalanced and you are really kowtowing to that client rather than leading that account with integrity for both them and for you. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Drew, thank you so much for your time. Uh, And thank you to everyone, uh, Ray, for that last question. We had several people, lots of engagement today and great questions. We will get that that resource from Drew that you talked about, that graphic and the recording as well as the deck from this presentation will be available here shortly. So you'll get that in your inbox. Um, Drew, where can people stay connected with you if they want to follow along with, with your content? and stuff that you're sharing, as I'm sure they've gotten value from today and want to keep getting more. Yeah, so agencymanagementinstitute.com is a great place to start. We have a podcast that is, comes out every week that we've been doing for seven years called Build a Better Agency that you can get anywhere that you get podcasts. Uh, I'm pretty active on all the social channels, so feel free to reach out on LinkedIn or Facebook or any of the places where you normally would find someone. 
And my handle is always the same. It's just Drew McClellan. It's M-C-L-E-L-L-A-N. That's it. So easy to find. Happy to be helpful. Yep. And I will say, I've heard so many of our team or customers say uh, your newsletter uh, just oftentimes just comes into their inbox and they're like, oh, I was thinking about this or I was going to ask someone this. So I'd highly you, recommend you your newsletter. bugging many a conference room. Yep. <laughs> so, so on the website, you can sign up for the newsletter. It comes out once a week and it's always just something that's on my mind that I know is on all of your minds. And so uh, we're happy to have you subscribe to that as well. Yep. Awesome. Well, connect with Drew and I on LinkedIn. We'd love to hear your follow-up questions or any feedback on how we can continue to make this monthly series for agency owners even better. So thank you so much for your time. Drew, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. uh, Thanks, everybody. We'll close it out. Thanks, everybody. Have a great rest of your Wednesday. We'll see you. Thanks. You've been listening to Agency Life, and we hope you've been enjoying each and every episode. If so, you've probably got a friend who'd find the show valuable as well. Sharing a podcast with someone in your network is an easy way to add value and show someone that you're thinking about them. Somebody probably came to mind for you just now. Go ahead, shoot them a text with something like, hey, I've been listening to Agency Life, and I think you'd like this episode I was just listening to. They'll probably really appreciate it, and hey, we will too. And if you're looking for even more content to support your agency life journey, check out teamwork.com slash agency life. There you can search through past episodes, get access to the agency life newsletter and find additional video content to support and inspire you as you continue on this crazy roller coaster ride that is agency life. Agency life.